Well, you are welcome to the number one technology conversation on Ghana Radio. You're welcome to City Trends. My name is Philip Ashon, and City Trends is sponsored by First National Bank. And First National Bank is asking you a very simple question. Why let your business settle for less when you can get a whole lot more with First National Bank? Go on and go beyond banking with a digital partner that understands your business. Let your business bank the better way with a business account from First National Bank. The First National Bank business account is more than just you know a random account it's a portal that gives you access to tools designed to propel your business this includes features like the award-winning online banking enterprise a straightforward global payment solution trade solutions and of course merchant services you can choose an account that suits your particular sector no matter what segment you're in from a Greek to the public sector to everything else in between first national bank has you covered so you can go on and visit the First National Bank um, website. That's firstnationalbank.com.gh. Alternatively, um, you can pop into any of their branches. Um, with the lockdown lifted, they can pop into any of their branches. Accra Mall, Junction Mall, Makola Mall, West Hills Mall, uh, Machimota Mall, Tema Community, Levin Jian Towers, and of course, the head office branch at Accra Financial Center. You can alternatively also download the mobile application which is really really efficient and you can go about conducting your business wherever you are but remember the first national bank ghana is a subsidiary of first brand group of south africa first national bank how can we help you On the show today, we have a big conversation that we need to dissect. We have a very important conversation having to do with um, our financial sector and um, whether we are actually even ready for a digitized economy. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, one would think that this would probably be an opportune time for us to take advantage of it. Are we taking advantage of um, the current situation to make the very best of what? we perceive to be a digitized economy are we putting the right building blocks in place are we preparing ourselves appropriately for a digitized economy well these are the questions that we'll be seeking answers to on the show today my guest eric Osei-Akwain, will be the one um, who will be providing us some insight into all of this we have the app segment the trending segment and um, of course your tech as well coming up on the show So make sure you stick and stay. This is City Trends on 97.3 City FM. Has your computer developed a problem you don't understand? Is your phone refusing to respond? Is there a computer virus you're battling with? Are you having problems signing into your account? Share your tech problems with City Trends and we will get the experts to help you solve them. Send us your problems via WhatsApp number 054-998-6996. You can also send us a tweet using the hashtag CityTrends. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 054-998-6996. Tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend.
Now, the digital revolution has transformed our lives and you know society generally with unprecedented speed and skill. A lot of it we still don't even understand. A lot of it we're trying to make sense of. It's delivered immense opportunities as well as daunting challenges. Now, new technologies can make significant contributions to realizing the sustainable development goals, for example. But we cannot take positive outcomes for granted. We must urgently improve international cooperation as we seek to achieve the full social and economic potential of digital technology while avoiding unintended consequences. And this is um, a preface from the Digital Economy Report 2019 put together by um, the United Nations, clearly showing us the direction that we're supposed to go in, in terms of cooperation from a digital from a global standpoint through the use of technology, through the use of um, various digital platforms. And basically, where we stand now, we need to ask ourselves, do we have an economy that is viable in a digital future? And what really are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be preparing ourselves for that sort of future? My guest in my guest will be joining us um, for this conversation is is a very good friend of ours. He's been on the show quite a number of times. He's an entrepreneur and an investor, and he is um, knee deep in a lot of these conversations. And so it's great to have him um, join us. Eric Osiakwan is my guest. Eric, thank you so much for making time to join us on the show. Yeah, pleasure to be back on, and thanks for your kindness to uh, uh, have me come share a bit of my thoughts, and good evening to the listeners. It's always a pleasure to, to, to hear from you. Eric, so, I mean, as, as, as I, was, I was asking, do we have an economy that we can say is future-proof, is, is, is in a position to take advantage of a digital future in terms of um, our financial sector, for example? Absolutely. Um, in the manner of speaking, what you will see in terms of the trend is that a lot more is happening digitally, but in a different way in the financial sector. So one of the things that the financial sector could not really get to happen is to get people to adopt cards as a means of electronic transactions. So in the West, most transactions are done on either the credit or debit card. So the card system is a way for transacting electronically. Now, most banks try to push that in Africa for a long time, and that adoption never happened. But a different adoption happened, which was mobile money, right? And the fact that people had mobile phones and they were easily getting used to mobile phones, it became easy to then put their money on their phone as opposed to putting the money on cards. And so I would say that, yes, that, but the way that digital adoption is happening in Africa is very different from what's happening in the West. And and and, and fintech or payments or financial transactions is one of the ways. And a bit of the precursor to this is also how you know mobile is consumed or mobile communication was consumed. So in the early days of introducing mobile, one of the critical differences was the use of <clears throat> debit system as opposed to credit system. So now West everything is credit based, right? So you consume stuff and then you pay for it later on. Now, when Vodacom, which was one of the first uh, companies that introduced uh, mobile for telephone in Africa back in 1993, 94, they introduced a debit system where you had to buy the airtime, load it onto your phone, and then you have the means to communicate, right? So you had to put the money up front. So that system also was very different from the way the West you know, uh, adopted uh, uh, telephony. And so later on, many years later, Safaricom introduced, Safaricom in Kenya introduced M-Pesa, which was a way to convert that currency that you put on the phone, right, back into electronic value that you could use for transition. And that's how mobile money came in. Mobile money has become the de facto payment platform across Africa for the fintech sector. <laughs> well, if the base is set, then someone will probably be saying, well, we have a digitized economy already, don't we? Or possibly we don't? We do. So, so you talk about fintech, right? So the financial sector, the main thing was about electronic payment, right? So we, we solved that. But then the other sector, so there's health, there's education, there is, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> agriculture, there is different sectors of the economy. So let me try and kind of paint how that is happening. Now, for all this to happen, there's a fundamental infrastructure shift that needs to happen. And that is not just the adoption of mobile, 
but the can the the um adoption or the move towards broadband infrastructure and part of that is fundamentally how africa connected to the rest of the world and to itself right so it's not we collecting to the global economy but we connecting among ourselves and this is underlined by the massive um submarine fiber infrastructure that was built around africa canadian africa to the rest of the world but also now being built predominantly on the continent to connect us to ourselves and layering on top of this is the mobile infrastructure that can that connects on top of this sort of what you call the uh, the the main backbone infrastructure that is needed that infrastructure is still being built so it's not completely done so for example the way you see mobile broadband in accra when you go to let's say a place like equipment <clears throat> you know then the the infrastructure is not as you know there as it is here so we still need to build that infrastructure to semi urban to rural areas so that is happening right but if you take the economically endowed centers that infrastructure in there so you begin to see a layering on top of that infrastructure so one is mobile money the second is how uh, educational services are delivered right so you begin to realize people begin to get onto um, consuming uh, online learning um, in as a supplement or as a complement to you know physical uh, classroom learning um, and then when you take a, uh, you know health service delivery you begin to realize that people are beginning to do health consultations remotely in certain cases as opposed to walking into a health physical healthcare facility again complementary complementing or in some cases as a substitute and then if you take agriculture for example how our farmers and uh, you know get access to information for example before farmers have to rely on okay normally it rains uh, they look at the parties of you know rainy season starts in june july august and they use that to plant but this has changed i mean this sunday we had rain which is not normal right so now because they have access to technology they can now look at the weather patterns get access to that first hand information about the changes in weather conditions so they can adapt when they they can also get access to market using the same you know technology that they have by i.e. the mobile phone now they that cut out the middleman who goes and buy for very cheap from them and sells at a huge markup to the market right so now the farmer knows that a tube of yam costs 20 dollars uh sorry 20 kind of cities in the market and so can charge um can make can get the real benefits of being able to produce uh that um yeah so so you begin to see how technology is being applied and this is where the enablement of technology becomes very critical, right? So it is sector in itself, but also it enables other sectors where you can begin to leverage it um, to reduce friction, to fix bottlenecks, to fix pain points, and that type of stuff. So that's what we call digitization, right? So that's what right. I call digitization. So how do you get technology to become sort of a lubricant in the economy itself, right, in every sector? I see. Well, I mean, that that sets that sets the basis of you know what we are going to be talking about. Then, then w- w- what what then does a pandemic have to do with speeding up the process? Right. So, so I, I will give you some background. So, I, I think that in life, generally, things happen as waves and things happen as catalysts. Right. So, the certain waves that you know drive the world. So, one of the biggest waves that has driven the world is the and then, you know, digital or, you know, digitization in general. Um, and we've seen this in the U.S. It went to Europe, it went to China. And I really believe that, you know, Africa's stand is the century. And then in every, you know, you know, century, there are sort of certain catalysts that make things happen. So I told you about how um, mobile money started with MPESA in, in, in Kenya um, in 2007. When, um, when uh, Safaricom introduced um, M-Pesor, it wasn't widely adopted very quickly. But if you remember, Kenya had election violence in 2007-2008. And I was in Kenya at that time. We were, we were building the, so the first submarine cable in East Africa called Team. So I lived there through that process. And I saw how during the election violence, because people became um, stationary, were stuck in their homes and clean rooms, they needed to transact. So immediately, mobile money became, uh, M-Pesor became the way to transact. So the election violence became a catalyst for speeding up the adoption of mobile uh, of M-Pesa, uh, i.e. mobile money then in Kenya. So when this COVID-19 happened, sort of obviously it slowed all of us down. You know, I had we all had to you know stay at home and and essentially start trying to live digitally, right? 
um, because I still wanted to work. I mean, I already, I already do a lot of stuff digitally, but you had to go to office. But, but I began to observe a phenomenon that suddenly a lot of my friends were in the connect, uh, you know, connected world, you know, the ISPs, the submarine fiber guys. We're seeing a huge surge in bandwidth demand, which means that more and more people were going online to do things that the Hitachi would do physically, walk to a shop to buy stuff, walk to a hospital, um, send their kids to school, suddenly it been all this online. So broadband demand went up to bandwidth. <clears throat> and part of this, this was necessitated by a very important policy action that I don't want to underestimate. The fact that African leaders took a very early decision to lock down their country as a way to minimize the spread of COVID-19. I think that is a policy action that is above board must be commended. And I want to give our, our president, and Kukwado, a huge credit for making that difficult decision at an early stage. Because the reality is that if COVID-19 starts spreading the rate at which it has in the West, we will not be able to stand it. So I think that that police action was very, very important in, in getting us to minimize the spread. But it catalyzed another action, which is people going online, right? And people begin to use digital tools to do the things that they do already. So... I consider it an unintended consequence of the COVID nineteen lockdown. Mm. Mm. That's 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 interesting. So, it, it, in 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 other words, and correct me if I'm wrong, what it means is the various sectors of any economy, globally or African, must sometimes realize some of these um, shifts, as 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 you put it, and be able to take advantage of it. Almost, I mean, people might have their own. And reservations about taking advantage of it but basically realizing some of these shifts and how it can help transform the economies now my, my question is policy wise i mean because the pandemic we are really hoping will make its move away but what are our governments doing on the continent and probably even ghana to take advantage of this particular situation we find ourselves it's great you lock down the country and everything else but people need to still move money around people still need to function within the economy how and what should governments be thinking about what sort of policies should they be thinking about putting in place to ensure that the economy will be digitized right so so there are also other ne other negative unintended consequences that i wouldn't mention so for example if you take most african economies majority the people are in the informal sector and if you take the informal sector people earn a daily wage so people like have to work every day people have to be mobile to make a living right so we need we, we should not underscore that unintended negative consequence of locking the country down and that's why you know there was all these you know schemes uh, to provide food and support and stimulus for for by various countries and so i, I think that uh, to combat that we need to now start thinking about how we we look at the structure of our economy going forward, right? So, so let me give you an, an example that I experienced myself. In, in my neighborhood where I live, there is a convenience store where I go to buy groceries and stuff, right, myself sometimes. And I remember two years ago, I walked to the shop and I wanted to pay with mobile money. I remember there's there, there something. I didn't have cash on me. And I was surprised that the shop attendant said, no, we, we don't take mobile money. So I needed to go to find a teller to cash the money and come pay for the for the service. I remember this story very well because that day I ended up not getting the grocery. You know, I didn't couldn't get it was late in the night, couldn't get it. But I went to that same shop during the COVID nineteen, and I the, the the lady the agent was accepting mobile money, right? Given yes, mobile money adoption has sped has sped up in the last two years, but I think that with COVID nineteen they realized that a lot of more people were needing to pay with mobile money. Right, so they had the option to start accepting that. So I think that we need to start thinking about how to use some of these digital tools in the daily delivery of service. For example, if government services all went online, and then government services are being paid for using mobile money, that could be another strong policy action. I want to renew my passport. I can do it online and pay with. Uh, by the way, that is happening. The last time I, re I renewed my passport, I literally paid online, applied online, and went to submit it. Because the submission took a few hours uh, of the day, but if all that could be electronic, that would be terrific, right? So um, payment of taxes, you know, payment of levy. So if the government can move in that digital direction where a lot of the service that they provide is online and people can pay for water bill, electricity bill, and all these things online, 
then it, you begin to move in a direction where the government the government services become digitized. And by extension, every services that sit on top of it will also become digitized. Now, I know that the, the current government is pushing in that direction. There's efforts to sort of consolidate the tax system, the revenue system of government to, to move in that. So, that's the, so, so they're moving in the right direction. I guess probably we need a bit more speed. So, so around this time, if all those things were in place, you realize that it will speed up uh, the, the access and service delivery and people will feel less the pinch of doing things without um, the mobility that they had before. Wow. Well, I mean, clearly what this means is it's one thing having in mind an idea of a digitized economy. And it's a completely different story of positioning yourself to be able to basically be a digitized economy. How much of all of this... So, so, so you have to be intentional. Mm. Mm. My, my, my question was, and you can follow on through with that. My question was, how much of this has... It comes down to education as well and sensitization because the example that you gave in in one year you come and you know the shop attendant does not want to take mobile money a few years down the line or a few months down the line they are accepting mobile money when you go deeper into it for example and i have had experiences where it's rather nuanced so for example they they receive mobile money on mtn but then they will receive it on another another network they are it's more nuanced than just you know having access to mobile money of course but i'm also just wondering how much of all of this comes down to the education and the driving home the message to the average person to be able to understand the benefits of having a digitized economy so so, so awareness is one you're right so there needs to be more education there, there needs to be more um you know uh creation of incentives so for example one of the incentives that the mobile operators uh, need to create for example for mobile money is to look again at the fees that they charge for the service. So one of the things that this lady uh, attended, the other time when I went there subsequently, so I had a conversation with her. But one of the things she reached, said to me was that, okay, so, so, so I'm being charged a fee, and then when I have to withdraw the money, I have to pay a fee, and then to go and buy the services that, uh, to, to buy my goods wholesale uh, with physical cash, and then I'm taking mobile money, right? So so we need to look into that, and that that, that is basically, you need to do some deferred gratification, right? By suspending some of, not suspending it entirely, but looking at some of the fees that you charge to that. And part of this also can come from policy action. But I think that the point I was trying to make a little bit is that it's not only that you need, you need to be intentional in policy making, but you also need to drive execution. Because this is really about execution, right? So if you say government services are going to be digital, you know, it has to work. It, it, it cannot, uh, uh, if, people, if people are experiencing it and it doesn't work, then they'll go back to, you know, the, 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 the previous way of doing things, which is sort of through the fiscal means. So, I mean, the experience has to be superior, right? So it's not only creating senses, but also you have to create an, a superior experience so that people will just realize that, oh, wow, actually I can just easily pay my water bill by just sitting at home and using my phone and I don't get any glitch and I'm not being charged some unnecessary fees. Yes, you'll be charged some fees, but not, you know, if, if it's too expensive than me going to the shop to pay the water bill, then probably the person will go to the shop. Right. So you need to think about that uh, from, an, from, from, from an execution perspective. Well, the execution definitely often is lacking in quite a number of yeah. <laughs> um, our, our sectors and, and we, we acknowledge that deficiency. But clearly, in this in this condition that we find ourselves in, in where we want to be headed, it looks like execution probably will be the most important factor in getting us over the line because there can be a lot of theory, there can be a lot of conversation. But if the execution and if the drilling down the conversation doesn't happen, and we don't create the necessary and enabling environment, clearly we are, we are not heading anywhere. This, this, and this is where government needs to realize where its, its um, domain ends and the private sector starts, right? So, so government needs to create a framework where it enables private sector to do the execution. Because, you see, government is generally not in the business of execution. These are creating policy frameworks, policy action, enabling, etc. So... So this is where you need to then hand over the baton to the private sector so that they execute and execute well. And this is where you need the markets to work.
Mm. But, but there's a direct connection between what you do as policymakers and, and not trying to execute, but allowing the private sector to execute. What, what, what should be the extent of that collaboration, though? So, so for example, um, um, the, the, there's going to be a Ghana.gov portal uh, uh, that will be launched very soon. And one of the frameworks that the government decided to use is to create the framework to 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 put all the government services on uh, on the Ghana.gov uh, framework, but allow a private company to actually build the infrastructure and execute and manage it, right? So that's a clear example of how you can create policy action and get to a point and allow the private sector to drive the execution. And, and I can give you other examples in other countries, um, Kenya, um, for example, when we did this big uh, uh, submarine cable infrastructure that we launched in Kenya many years ago, it was purely a policy action. But the, the government knew that we needed a private guy to come and execute in building the cable. So they created the, the framework, even the, the, the regulator in Kenya provided the risk insurance for the whole submarine cable, but we, the private guys, deliver the cable, right? So this is where there needs to be a clear definition of where policy action starts and ends and where execution comes in. And, and this is where collaboration and the government working with the private sector is very, very important, right? Well, Eric, one of the things that often happens as a consequence of all this disruption is, you know, whereby people just either get tired or don't understand it so they forget about it and you ask a question on an article that um you wrote um in one of your blog posts on on, on the harvard website about is increased disruption a positive consequence and i'm just wondering if you can expand on that sometimes does it not right. become too much actually um so let, let me give you a bit a bit of historical antecedent very interesting historical antecedent uh, which i kind of tried to imply in the in the article i wrote so, so when the internet was introduced, one of the schools of thought that was very predominant in those days in the 90s was that because we are going to be interconnected, that that will mean that we will not travel, we will be less mobile, right? So people are more interconnected uh, through the internet, through the information superhighway, which was sort of the technology then. And so we will not need to, you know, uh, travel and be extremely mobile. But the opposite happened. The reality is that the internet and the information superhighway became the catalyst for globalization, which is that people increasingly became curious of other parts of the world by seeing them online and wanted to experience the rest of the world. And then, and now fast forward, look at what has happened with COVID-19, is that everybody would have thought that with the fact that uh, our economies uh, are locked down, it actually triggered people going online. Right, so so the lack of mobility is actually triggering uh, digitization, which is sort of the opposite of the phenomenon I talked about. Right, so so I call these unintended consequences, and I don't. I, I think that in this particular case of COVID nineteen, what we are going to see is that it's going to change to some extent the way we do certain things, not everything. Right, one of the realizations is that out of this, that people are going to realize that oh, actually. There are actually things that I can do online that I don't need to, you know, really drive to a place or, you know, uh, go somewhere to do. So that realization has become quite clear. Um, there's, there's a big debate going on about the, the office, as a, as work, as, a, work as, a, as a phenomenon of going to an office, right? Which is, will telecommuting become a way of life where people can begin to realize that, no, actually... I can be extremely productive working from home as opposed to spending four hours of my day sitting in traffic trying to get to an office to work. Um, and you can apply it to different sectors. So, for example, take this to banking. Um, literally, within the shutdown, I have done incredible banking transactions without going to the bank. Uh, actually, one time I had to go to the bank because the bank needed me to fill a certain form. But that was the only time I went to the bank, right, um, for some inflow that was coming in. But a lot of what I've done, I've been doing my banking services all by phone. So you raise the question, do I need to go to a bank branch uh, eventually uh, when this is over to deliver the services? Maybe not. But, but I, so, so what I'm, I'm not advocating that, I'm not a, a advocating a fundamentalist thinking. I'm advocating that 
probably this is going to be a very integral part of our lives because it's going to have all the incentives and create all the um, efficiencies that we need. But there are things that we still will be able to need to do with mobility, right? So I'm not advocating a total mobility. In the same way, I don't advocate that we're going to be a cashless society. I believe that we're going to be a cash-like society in the sense that even with mobile money and everything, there are certain things that you may still have to do with some form of cash. Right, right. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but, Eric, I just I just want to just, you know, check with you on, on this particular point. So we, we, we have this situation, this COVID situation, this pandemic is disrupting life. It's, you know, causing everybody to go wherever. But in most situations, one sector is likely to play the catalyst in trying like more or less pushing us in that digital economy sort of direction which of the sectors and you've talked about education you've talked about commerce you talked about health and everything else which of the sectors do you think will be you know that one shining diamond that you know pushes us further than we even thought was possible that's one sector that will be the catalyst to drag everybody along is will there be one particular one or you feel that all of them will just basically move together in in in, in the direction that we wanted to go go in i think um it, it it's going to be all sectors but i think that for everyone something is going to be different right so for example if you if if your main cost of life is in financial services then probably that's going to be a, a very driving force for you if there's a lot of tools that are that are available to you to do what you do electronically. But but if your course of life is sort of in mobility, right? Um, and, and before I make this point, let me let me give you sort of some background. One of the things that we noticed from uh, our portfolio companies is that we, we've invested a bunch, of, and we didn't think about this before, by the way, be, before this phenomenon. But we realized that in our portfolio, we have three types of companies. We have companies that are what we call virtualized services, right? So they're companies that are predominantly uh, providing services online, right? So e-learning, uh, e-campos, and all these uh, companies, right? And then we have what we call mobility uh, businesses, which is businesses that provide services and technology, but they need to be some form of mobility. You got to go somewhere, you, gotta, you know. And then in between those two, it is companies that combine the two. So e-commerce companies, right? So you go online, you order for something, but then somebody has to deliver it to you or you have to go up and go and pick it up, right? And and we get to realize that one of the phenomena that we see in COVID-19 is that the some of the mobility businesses uh, have really lost track entirely, right? So, um, you know, travel tech companies, you know, have really, I mean, nobody's traveling. Airlines have shut down. So if you're a travel tech company, your revenues have gone to zero, right? Um, and, and you would have thought that our world was an extremely mobile world, right? Mobility is a 21st century, uh, you know, appendix. But suddenly, COVID-19 has reduced mobility to nothing, and therefore all mobility businesses are, are facing a downturn, right? Then you decide you look at virtualized businesses like um, Editech, right? Editech is not a sexy area for people to invest in. But suddenly you know, it's become a very, very interesting uh, business model suddenly because now the only way you can get education is by being online. The only way you can get your health service delivered is by um, using telemedicine or online health services. So suddenly what we've seen is that virtualized services that were not interesting or not sexy before suddenly have become very, very interesting for people to, to look at. And then in between that is the companies that combine both. Right, so e-commerce companies, um, logistics companies that use a lot of technology that fall under what you call essential services. So you see that the mobility business that have survived are those that are within what you call essential services. Right. So to some extent, we one of the learning that we are realizing is that this we need to now take this into consideration in our portfolio construction strategy. Right. That if there's another pandemic, you know, uh, many years down the line, we, we should be able to have a balance of the portfolio that can allow us to survive and not lose i mean we've had i mean uh two thirds of our businesses in the in, in the mobility slash mobility to virtual services and then one third in virtual services right so to some extent we're we're feeling we're facing the negative consequence of covid 19 how be it you know see the upside on the positive 
Well, Eric, I, I I like the fact that you kept it safe. All of them will be moving, but um, from from your analysis, clearly some will take a quicker lead than 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 others. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. But before you take leave of us, any any final words, especially on the issue of policy and how important it is for policy to be modelled in such a way that this country and this continent can lead the conversation in terms of a more digitized economy? So, so uh, I will end on a note that you, you, one of the phenomena that people are increasingly talking about is that COVID-19 is going to let, you know, countries look more inward, right? So nationalism could become the new normal, not globalization. In other words, because global mobility has reduced, people begin to look more internally. And, and, and this is, yes, it's most likely going to be a consequence of what we're going through. But when you look at it from an African perspective, I think that it's going to also connect directly to our regionalization. So the creation of a common market in Africa suddenly gets a kick as well. Because if you look at the fact that the common market in Africa is $3 trillion, right? And so, and, and the fact that that market has had the least hit by COVID-19. So in some, to some extent, if you look at the IMF projections and most of the uh, international institutions, they argue that emerging markets are going to be the the market that will recover soonest and will be the destinations for investment. So this is where our government needs to take advantage of this opportunity to focus more deliberately on the execution of a digital agenda and strengthen our economy. So, for example, the things that we are looking at in terms of creating a manufacturing industry in Ghana where we can add value to the raw materials that we produce, cocoa, uh, gold, and all these items, if we can start having a, an industrial base to start you know, creating, adding value, that will be very, very important. And technology will play a very critical role in that. In addition to creating the human capital that we need to go to make this work. And I think that this is also linked directly to a market system that begins to appreciate local production, consumes local, and and by that we can create a market that is strong, and will, will, and Africa we met as sort of the next superpower um, on the global stage. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us with your thoughts. It's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Very thought-provoking um, um, insights there, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. Brilliant. Well, it's time for us to get into the segment of the show. And the very first one is the app segment of the show. Now, this segment basically allows us to get a sense of which kind of mobile applications are, you know, in the system, um, especially those from the local front. And, um, you know, so for you at home doing the listening, you can check it out if it's something that fits you know with the work that you do or you know it helps you to execute a service well hopefully these mobile applications that we have on offer for you on the show will give you something to think about so today um jeffrey Rekusapong has a very interesting one and so jeffrey is going to bring us that right about now hi phil so this evening the app we are bringing you is called plenu p-h-l-e-n-u it's an e-commerce app, and let's listen to Daniel talk about it. My name is Daniel Amenuvo, and I am a co-founder and currently the country manager of Flenu Ghana Limited. Flenu is spelled as P-H-L-E-N-U. P for Papa, H for Hotel, L for Lima, E for Echo, N for November, and U for Uniform. It is an away expression which literally means to buy something. The Flenu apps can run on Android as well as iOS and as such can be found on both the Play Store and the App Store. Flenu is designed to connect merchants locally present in Ghana with consumers who are both home and abroad. And this is done through three interrelated apps that bring you endless opportunities. The first is Flenu Business, and this is for merchants who are willing to sell on the platform. 
the second display for customers or consumers willing to buy from the merchants who have listed. And the third is plenary delivery for delivery drivers and riders who would want to make extra income on their bikes and vans in delivering items purchased on the plenary platform. So yes, there you heard about it. If you're a vendor, you can get on the app. If you want to get anything from any of the vendors there, just go there and get it. Remember, the app is spelled P-H-L-E-N-U. So you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is OJ Sapon. Follow me. Send me a DM if you have an app that you want me to talk about. My DM is always open. Send me a DM and then let's get talking. So you can follow Jeffrey if you have any mobile apps you would want us to review, check out, and share with the rest of the world, especially if you are a Ghanaian developer. The next uh, segment on the show that is always a pleasure to, to bring you is um, uh, your tech. Um, basically, with this segment, what we try to do is to listen to your issues with the tech that is around you and try to bring you some solutions as well. And today, um, we have an issue from Sedo, but, um, you know, it's not, I am not in charge of it. Um, the lady who's in charge of it, Ellen, um, is here and she will be giving us a sense of what Sedo's problem is and um, what sort of solutions we've been able to help him out with. Hi, Phil. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. I hope everyone is fine and is doing well and is safe from the coronavirus. This week, I spoke to Sedo, and he has a problem that I think a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people complain about. Even I have gone through that before. So he has a problem with his memory or the storage space on his phone. So let's listen to him. I have a problem with my phone. Is infinite smartphone. The internal memory is 32 gig, but I've not downloaded so many apps on it. But it's telling me my memory is full. I mean the internal memory. And then when I made a call, most of the people say they can't hear me loud. My voice is far, 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 far low. So please, this is my problem. Let's go ahead and give him and any other person who is also facing this issue the solution that we have. Of course, as usual, CT Trends always has your back. If your 32 gig phone is filled up, what you have to note is that the internal storage is shared with your operating system software, all your applications and all the other media that are downloaded to your phone. To be sure, do a backup of all that is on your phone and reset the phone to factory settings. You will know if it is something that is consuming your space. Then again, you also talked about your sound, the sound from your phone. Check the, spe the speaker or earpiece grills. That is the mesh-like thing that covers the earpiece and make sure that it is not blocked sometimes dust can settle in there and totally block it up so check and clean it if you're still experiencing the low volume complaints from people that you call then you need to see a tech probably your microphone is malfunctioning and needs to be replaced so we hope this helps keep getting in touch keep telling us about the problems you are facing with your gadgets whatever gadget you have and city trends will always help you out my twitter handle is at eadapa the dapa is d-a-p-double-a-h you can get in touch or always send your issue to the city whatsapp number and we would always provide a solution for you Now, to add on to that, if you have a mobile device, 32 gig, 16 gig, 128, and you find that the space is getting full and it's becoming a bother, I think it's time for you to, you know, look at what else your phone is doing. Because if you have like a game, for example, you know, that requires heavy graphics, if you have a game that, you know, stores information, if you have a lot of things that are happening in the background, well, it could be that, you know, it's eating up a lot of space on your phone. If, for example, you're not backing up your photos, you know, on a cloud or something, it is going to eat up the space 
on your phone if you're recording a lot of video you probably haven't even changed the resolution on the camera from four, probably 4k to um, hd or 1080p that is going to eat up a lot of space on your phone so there are so many things but like our in-house expert said some very very basic things you need to do just try as much as possible to also check out the apps check out the background um things that are happening the things that are happening in the background of the device where your updates are being installed whether there are some downloads that are happening there are some of these apps that you sometimes download that honestly um you know download a lot of other unwanted material and sometimes some of these things are not known to you so you have to be very very careful about which sort of mobile apps you're downloading and whether there are other activities quote unquote happening in the background that you might not be aware of well it's now time for us to get a sense of what's happening within the tech space globally and locally and that is what we do in the trending segment of the show so we try to bring you up to date with everything happening globally within the tech space and of course if there are any locally relevant stories as well we try to box it up into that one and uh, mr entry is the one who will be serving as all of that right about now welcome to yet another set of trending stories in the technology industry this week, I bring to you an interesting development at Facebook Incorporated, why the launch of iPhone 12 might delay, and a story on how local technology is helping in the fight against COVID-19. Let's start off with what's happening at Facebook Incorporated. So as we all know, Facebook Incorporated is the mother company of Facebook app, Instagram, WhatsApp, Portal, and a few other companies. And the company is being led by Matt Zuckerberg. So on Friday, Facebook Incorporated launched a new range of products for Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, and then Facebook Messenger. So this update is by far the company's first interoperable product or let's say feature, which brings all of its products together. So this update is going to make it possible to create and discover video chats through Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, and Facebook Messenger. Diving into all the new updates and new products launched by Facebook Incorporated, let's start off with WhatsApp. So the company has up limits on video calls from four people to eight people, making WhatsApp a direct competition to video chats app House Party. So now on WhatsApp, you'll be able to have a video call with eight people, which used to be four. So I guess you're wondering when this new update will be shipped into your phone. So this new update is already available to iOS users on the App Store and for Android users will be coming in a couple of weeks to the Google Play Store. However, if you can't wait for the updates to reach the Play Store, you can download an APK directly from WhatsApp's official website. On Facebook app, the company launched a new product that allows account users to go live with another account as seen on Instagram Live. Also on Instagram, now live videos are now available on the web so you can now watch live instagram videos on the web and also creators of live videos can now share their streams directly on igtv so to the biggest launch or the biggest product or feature from facebook this week is the messenger room so the messenger room is a tool for sharing virtual hangouts with up to 50 people so you can host a virtual hangout on messenger room and you can have 50 people joining you either from WhatsApp, from Instagram, or from Facebook itself, and also with a link on the web. So Messenger Room allows you to host up to 50 people on the internet. This Messenger Room is a direct competition to Zoom, and we'll see what's going to happen in the future. And to our next story, the launch and global shipping of the new iPhone 12 might delay for at least a month. And this is because there's been a delay in the mass production of iPhone 12 by Apple. And this caused by the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. So it's making it difficult for Apple to order a mass production of iPhone 12. And it's likely to cause a potential pushback to the date of iPhone 12 release globally. Moving on to our last story, the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology in collaboration with Incas, a diagnostic company in Kumasi, has developed a rapid diagnostic test kit for detecting COVID-19. So this tool 
institutions have come together to develop a test kit for detecting COVID-19. So the test kit works with just a finger prick drop of blood from an individual and the testing picks into 20 minutes to perform. Currently, the developers of the products are in a conversation with the Food and Drugs Authority for necessary regulation and framework to have the product working. This is also how local technology is helping in the fight against COVID-19. This brings us to the end of the training segment for this week. And that is where we draw the curtains down on the show. Very, very exciting stuff, especially from Facebook. All the releases, um, you know, that um, they put out there. Um, people might say they are stealing ideas from, you know, the other companies. But, well, that's what competition is. Um, they have the numbers to support them as well. So, hey, for me what i just love is the fact that we are going to have easier ways of communicating and connecting with people if it is going to be on facebook if it's going to be on ig if it's going to be on zoom whichever platform it is google hangouts skype whichever it's very very exciting now what excites me about um, facebook rooms and everything that facebook is doing is the fact that you can basically connect anywhere you are and you don't even need to have a facebook account you know, all you need is the link to join the conversation. If you're on Instagram, you can join through Instagram. If you are on WhatsApp, you can join through conversations through WhatsApp. And it's pretty incredible what is going to happen. I can't wait for the global rollout um, so we can test it and get a proper feel of it. But, you know, these are exciting times. And I guess we just have to sit back, kick off our shoes and see what, you know, the global tech firms really have for us. It's been a pleasure coming your way on the show today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation with Eric and, um, of course, a big thank you to the rest of the team, to Jeffrey, to Ellen, and of course to Mr. Enchi for their contributions as well, to Mr. Opoku um, as as well. Thank you so much for everything. Well, it's been a pleasure coming your way. The show will be available as a podcast um, first thing tomorrow morning, so please do look out for it. Um, any podcast platform that you know, the show will be available on it first thing tomorrow, so please do check it out. But then, till next week, stay techy.